Shalom and welcome to the Journey from Jacob podcast, where we explore the spiritual journey Jacob takes to become Israel and address how that journey affects us to this day. I'm your host, Michaela Boyers, and I'll be joined by Paul Robbins, director of Comfort My People, a ministry to the Jewish people in Israel and beyond. This podcast is an affiliate of Comfort My People, so go give us a follow on Facebook or Instagram, where we'll continue our conversation from today. Hope you enjoy today's episode. Hi guys, this is Michaela Boyers. As I said before, I'm the host of this podcast, and I just want to welcome you guys to join here, sit down with us, and just have a good conversation about God, about Israel, about life, um, all those wonderful things. So to get you started, I want to kind of give you an idea of why we started this podcast, what the heart of it is, and um, yeah, just so you can understand all of that. Basically, my journey with God has been a slightly confusing one. Um, grew up in the church. I went to Christian school. And then when I graduated, I realized I didn't even really know God. And I kind of ran all over the world trying to find him and find myself. Um, I was honestly very depressed and suicidal before I started running around and um, looking for God. I went to Vegas to start and then to Spain and I've kind of been all over. Um, but one topic that kept coming up specifically after um, I got over a lot of that stuff and while I was in Spain was the importance of Israel and of the Jewish people. In Spain, I had a group of friends who went to Israel for a couple of months and they came back and they started sharing with me all of this life-giving stuff. Um, things like weekly Sabbath meals where we would all sit together and just talk about God and about life and about what he was doing in us. Um, we had Passover together and they showed me how all the different elements of Passover touched on Jesus and how Jesus is steeped and rooted in everything in, in Judaism and a lot of Jews can't tell, but they were just so excited. I would sit and listen to preachings from rabbis for hours with one of my friends. And when I left Spain and came back to America, I started working in an organization called Advancing Native Missions. And there I met Paul Robbins, who has joined me today. And he's the director of Comfort My People, which is a ministry to the Jewish people in Israel and beyond. And um, I really, I spent hours with him when I wasn't really supposed to, because I was supposed to be working. But the culture of our office is one of family. And so it's okay to spend time talking. And we really addressed a lot of, topics and a lot of things that I've struggled with in the church and a lot of things that I've struggled with that involve Israel and the Jewish people, such as the fact that 80% of the Bible is about them. And then, you know, the Gentiles are kind of thrown in at the end as like a piece of that promise. Um, but I feel like I don't know anything about them. And I feel like currently today, they don't mean anything to the church. And so I had a lot of questions, a lot of doubts, a lot of confusion about the church today and about um, Israel and what all of that has meant. And so Paul has kind of been a place of rest and wisdom for me in all of that. He is of Jewish origin. Um, he would call himself a Jew because they don't lose that just because they believe in Jesus or Yeshua. So he is a Jew, but he believes in Yeshua and he is wise. I would like to point out that wisdom is something that's slow and that's peaceful and that doesn't come in the fast-paced way that we like to get information nowadays. So I would like you guys to get ready for slow and peaceful wisdom. Um, get ready for Paul Robbins. Um, so Paul, 
Would you introduce yourself to us? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I don't think I've ever been introduced quite like that before, but uh, I think I'll try to walk into that. It's, it is it is true. Um, uh, there's a slowness to me um, as far as trying to get thoughts out. I definitely want to make sure that my words have some kind of relevance to it. Not that I have full control by any means, but I, my life has taken a, an, an incredible turn, similar to yours as far as the journey went. It was a journey. It was a long journey because one of the things that plagued me growing up as a Jew was that we were a minority, number one. Uh, I was born in Brooklyn and raised by immigrant parents, mother from mother's family's from Poland, father's family from Russia. And so they grew up in a very strongly persecuted uh, land and their families felt safe to flee and fortunately, they did flee before World War II showed up, before Hitler was on the scene in full force. And um, as a result, they were able to live and raise a family in Brooklyn. And then we later moved to uh, Long Island, which did most of my growing up experience. So I experienced um, anti-Semitism, and not on a daily basis, but on a regular basis. We, I knew that we were minority. I knew that uh, the Nazi signs and kill the Jews signs that I would see in bathrooms and graffiti and stuff were pointed towards us. And I always wanted to know why do they hate us, but no one wanted to talk about it. So I had this sense of being different, unusual, and I didn't like it. And it caused unrest in me. I got into fights because of it as I was in high school and started to drink and run around with a crowd that caused trouble. And to me, I wanted to be like the Gentiles because no one hated them. They were, you know, they were cool. The, the, the ones that were cool were the Gentiles. And so I grew up in a mostly Catholic and, um, you know, Protestant, not quite equally um, in population, but but they had the equal purpose in life was that was the ones that I hung around was, was to have fun and get into trouble. So that was cool. So I, I, I excelled in that, unfortunately. I'm not proud of any of my lifestyle, but in the process, I realized how flat it was. Um, getting drunk and things like that. And, and um, I, because I, of my time frame of growing up, the cultural thing that was happening was this unfolding of this new generation um, of Woodstock, they called us, Woodstock generation. And we were all about this love, peace, and, and happiness kind of thing. It was a very open sense of doing whatever you thought was right, which... Uh, sooner or later became wrong, but no one recognized that, including me. So my journey was paved with hardship. And I, I as I <clears throat> grew older, I sensed that there is much more, there has got to be something more than what I'm experiencing. So I started to travel. And my travel took me across the country hitchhiking, across Canada hitchhiking. And I I told the story in a previous interview, which I will try to repeat again. <laughs> But because the recording, you know, this is another thing I'll just do a side trip here, whether it's recorded or not, um, is that we are so dependent on each other here. Um, and so we are dependent on the mechanics of the machinery that's operating right now. And it can make me frustrated. And the reason I bring this out, because when things went wrong when I was young, frustration was my closest friend. It was right there at the door to grab hold of me and say, I'll take care of this. Just let go of your anger and you'll be okay. 
And that was a way of life for me, but I hated it, that anger, that frustration, because it was way too close, way too evident. But I didn't, I, I didn't notice it in other people. But I wouldn't say these things, but I observed that there are people in this world that were not like me, that were not like my friends. And I wanted to explore more and more. Somebody in this planet knows what's going on, what life is about. It's not just about getting an education, a good job, collecting a lot of money and a lot of stuff, and then dying. It has to be more. So that was my search, and I used my thumb to do that. I figured if I can go as far as I could on this continent without leaving it, I would find the meaning of life, at least a direction where I was to go from there. So I ended up in um, traveling north in, to California and then up north the coast into Canada. Vancouver Island is where I felt was a safe place because I knew nobody and I couldn't get any further without going into the ocean, the Pacific, from the Atlantic. And I thought that this is my time. This is definitely going to be the time where I'm going to understand the meaning of life. So I traveled from there as far as I could and found a, spa a part of the island where no one lived. There was no tourism there. There was no nothing there. And somehow I just walked off the road, found this lake, saltwater lake, and I parked my gear, which wasn't much, against a rock cliff, not a tall one, but a rock cliff. And I said, I'm just going to sit here until this universe reveals itself to me and what part I play. So it wasn't long. The sun started to go down. And I sat there in a full lotus position because that's what I did. I, I was into yoga heavily. And I waited. And then as the sun went down, something very strange started to happen is that these crabs started coming out of the water. And I thought, I was looking at it with interest. I thought it was really cool to, to watch this display. I was the only one that could see it. But as these crabs came, their friends came, and more friends, and more friends, and they just kept crowding the beach around me, that they actually drew a circle, a semicircle, because my back was close to the cliff that they couldn't get behind me. But I kept drawing back as far as I could till I was actually against the cliff. And fortunately, I had a little fire going, and um, they didn't come near the fire. So I noticed that, and I started flaming the fire, fueling the fire, more and more branches as fast as I could to try to scatter these things, but they kept coming at me. And then I thought I was in some kind of sci-fi movie, but it was reality, and there was no other reality than what was in front of me, and I was really perplexed and upset. So I was frantically trying to get rid of these things, and they started to recede, and I'm sure it wasn't from me. It was just the timing that they come and go. But I couldn't sleep that night. So I was just really perplexed. At why did it take me like 4,000 miles of hitchhiking across the country and up into this faraway place I'd never been to? No nothing, no no, no one. And yet this is it? This I'm looking for the meaning of life and this is it? Crabs trying to strangle me and scare me to death? I said, how could life be that? And so the next morning I packed up and I, I headed back east through Canada and hitchhiking again and finally came back very disappointed that this was not the meaning of life, that there probably is no meaning of life and I might as well just live that way. And without going on further elaborate that, I fortunately realized that, you know, I got to do something more. And that was to learn how to work with my hands. So I started that process of carpentry. And in the process, um, I found I had a girlfriend. 
And um, she decided that she liked me and I liked her, but we never said those words because hippies didn't think, say things like that. You just live together. And um, we did that. And it was about four or five years in that I realized I hadn't found the meaning of life yet and I'm still plagued by it. So I got a 52 Chevy pickup that somebody was throwing away because it was all beat up and didn't work and built it, rebuilt it, and built a camper to go on the back of it. Not really a camper. People said it looked more like a church and had kind of stained glass windows on it and old barn doors and things like that. So I traveled around. I told my, my girlfriend that I have to leave. I'm going to find out people that know the meaning of life and start to learn from them. So I was going to travel to communes, which is what I did. I did some research before Google and found several communes that seemed to have it all together to visit. So uh, I headed out in my 52 El Chevy, I called him, and we, were, we became companions for several months. And I traveled from um, the north to the south and landed in a few communes, actually in Virginia. And then um, from there, I went further south. The, the communes, one after the other, they were all different. They all had their own sense of um, direction and meaning and strong leadership. But yet I stay at one for three days, a week, two weeks, and there was just nothing there that I felt was answering my plaguing question of what is the meaning of life and why am I here? So I kept going until I heard about this one in Tennessee called The Farm, and it had 1,100 hippies that moved in buses from um, Haight-Ashbury in San Francisco to Tennessee to start this, this large commune, more like a town. And I spent some time there, and really thought I had finally arrived and I would settle in. I met the, um, the leader, Stephen Gaskin, of this community, this commune. And um, I thought I'd be enamored with him. And I, the, the reason I was there is because I was going to go back to where I came from and start a commune like that one up north. And so I wanted to meet with him for that purpose. Basically, all he said, far out, man, that's so cool. Yeah, you go do it. And, and that was it. That was our big meeting. And there's some really funny details that happened during that time. But uh, that's in a book, by the way, called The Milkman's Story, if you want to read it. Um, but I left also flat, totally flat, totally drained, thinking that uh, here I am again. There's nothing. And I got back in El Chevy, headed to Florida, headed to the Keys, Key West in Florida, right before Key West, because Key West was not my type of place. So I parked in the beach thinking this is my last chance because now here I am on the furthest place south in America and I still haven't found any answers. As far as I could travel on this continent, um, there was nothing. And there was no one. And there was no one living according to design because I knew I was designed for so much more and it was not happening and I was getting very depressed. And then this strange thought came to me is that I should um, marry, get married. I had a girlfriend for five years. Her name is Marla. And um, she was, I left her in New Jersey and she came, flew down and to visit me. And while she was in Florida with me, I said in a very romantic way, let's get married. And that was my proposal. And she said, okay, let's do it. She was really shocked because I never thought I would do that. Um, so she went back. Um, not long after that, I drove back up north. We got married. And a year later, we had our first child. I thought that the marriage was going to be enough to show me that, okay, this is how you're supposed to live. 
but there's something else, you know, inside of marriage that's going to change you. And that didn't happen. It didn't happen with our first child. And I realized now that I had a responsibility that was beyond my capabilities, and I started to get really concerned because it wasn't just about me anymore, which it always was my entire life to that moment. So I continued to practice yoga. I became a yoga instructor, and then I was working as a carpenter until one day working for a carpenter. I came face to face to the strongest anti-Semite who was my boss. So this guy, he was my boss. He's a great carpenter, about the best I'd ever seen, as a matter of fact. And, and I wanted to learn so much, but he was also the meanest person I ever met in my life. And he made it clear to me that he hated America. He hated Americans. He was from um, Hungary. He was a communist, raised as a communist. And that the only thing he hated more than America, Americans, were Jews. And he, it's funny because he, I never told him I was a Jew. I was a hippie. I had long hair, long beard, and I was just out to be a good carpenter. And he seemed to like me originally, but then he caught on that I was a Jew somehow because anti-Semites have that sense of smell and um, radar. And the next thing, without going into great detail, which is also in that same book, The Milkman Story, that... Um, I came to my end. I said, I, I cannot understand the strength of this hatred. I can't hide from the hatred. I can't become someone else. Uh, you, I learned later the Bible says that a leopard cannot change its spots, nor an Ethiopian the color of his skin. I could not change what was going on inside of me. No one on the outside could change it. No place I could go could change it. It has to come from within. Strangely, at the same time, I had on my camper that I traveled the, the country with um, a shelf on this cabinet that I made that had my holy books in it. And it had all the different Eastern religions, but also a Bible in there that's, uh, that a woman, uh, an older woman, gave to me on my journey. And, but I just put it there because you can't throw things like that out. So I just had it on my holy bookshelf. And, but it came to a point where I was reading that every night, so much so that I couldn't go to sleep unless I did read that Bible. And so I would do that with my, um, my oil lamp. Um, I'm going backwards, in case you didn't notice, uh, in time. And I started to, to read this book and to the point where it was like, I don't get it. I still don't get it. Even though I'm Jewish, I'm reading through the Old Testament. I knew the stories, um, but it still didn't make any sense to me. So after my wife and I got married, somebody had given us a large Bible, a family Bible, which I would read while I was doing my morning yoga. I'd do a full lotus position with this family Bible that was the size of a coffee table on my lap and reading through the Old Testament until I got to the New Testament and started reading about this man named Jesus, which shocked me because the first thing I, I understood was this, this guy's Jewish. How come these Catholics like this guy? He's Jewish. Everyone hates Jews. Why do they make a religion around him? You know, and so I didn't understand any of that. But as I read, I, I saw that this Jesus is cool. He's somebody I would love to have hanged out with. Why didn't anybody tell me about him? And so I was really upset that I was just learning about him through this big, gigantic family Bible on my lap for the first time, and no one ever told me about him. So I'm already 29, almost 30 years old at this point, and still this is the first time I knew anything about Jesus, the man from Galilee. And I just love this guy. 
And so, but there came a time in my life, um, very shortly after reading this, where I can't, had to come to terms with Jesus. And without going into great detail, I did. I asked him in the, in the midst of this anguish of my soul, if you are God, if there really is a God, I don't even understand that concept anymore. But if you are God, then I need to know. And he revealed himself to me. And he healed me and set me free in one night. And I woke up completely different. It's a wonderful story. Maybe we'll go into detail of that somewhere else because it points to his amazing love for the searcher, for the seeker. And I learned that he said that if you seek after me, you will find me if you seek after me with your whole heart. And it came to the point where I exposed my heart for the first time, really the first time, because I, I don't know why, but I was never permitted myself to do that until I met Jesus. And I took the chance, which I realize now is a step of faith, to say, I want to know and I'm willing to know and do what it takes to follow what I learn. And that was the beginning of a life that of substance, where I started to see that all these disappointments that I had were rolled up in one and discarded. And I didn't discard them. He discarded them. He removed them from me. And this life of trust, which I never understood before, began to be a life that I was going to be committed to live and have ever since. Not perfectly, but because of him. I love it. I think I would hope that that's most Christian stories with experiencing Jesus and finding Jesus and that journey to get there. And I think through that, that connects back to our title and journey from Jacob, um, which I think a lot of people are probably questioning at this point, why journey from Jacob? And so with that, I'd like to say that I think every person in coming to terms with Jesus has a journey to go through. All of us kind of run and travel and look for meaning and find him eventually, hopefully. That's all of our goals, I would think, that everyone who's searching and running and trying to find would be, would meet him, would meet Jesus and would find what they're looking for. Because I fully do believe that that's what all empty souls are looking for, all people searching for meaning are looking for. And in that, we come to Jacob, who biblically, we're talking about the biblical Jacob here, descendant of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Would you like to tell us a little bit about Journey from Jacob, what Jacob means? Um, and why we chose that title, maybe. Sure. So the title is amazing. Um, everyone that I've mentioned this title to has a look on their face, a puzzled look on their face, but also an awe, because it tells a story, just as th three words, journey from Jacob. If you're a Bible reader, if you're Jewish or Christian, um, and you have any familiarity, you know that it's a strange title, because Jacob has an, is an important player, whether or not most people know his story biblically or not it says something why would you journey from a person why would you journey from your name well the thing is biblically the names um, had meanings and this is very purposeful all the bible names have a meaning to it um, you know and in our country that really didn't happen a lot of you know bill joe Suey, susan <laughs> you know a lot of the names really have no um, etymology to it you know, that, that can be traced. But all the Hebrew names have meanings. So Jacob's name, now please forgive me because I didn't invent Jacob's name and I didn't give him a definition. 
but Jacob's name that means supplant. That's supplant kind of means take something or grab for something that's not yours. Jacob, when he came out of his mother's womb, he was a twin. His brother's name was Esau. Esau simply means red. He was red and hairy, Esau. So he grabbed at his brother's heel, that's what the midwife said, on the way out of the womb. And so that was to supplant. He tried to get first place, in other words, is, is this story, in the womb, before he knows how to cry. And so the, he was named Jacob. But Jacob also means, and this is where you got to forgive me, it means deceiver. And there's a verse in the Bible that many Christians are familiar with in Jeremiah 17 that says, um, the heart of man is desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's a really intense verse because it speaks about this hidden place within the heart of man that is wicked. Who's going to agree to that? You know, this... some, some versions say deceitful above all things. Okay, deceitful is exactly right. So the same so, word there. Yeah, you jumped right into the story, <laughs> which, which is probably more accurate. So, and I like, I like that you pointed out because it is more accurate. Because wicked and deceitful are totally different words. Deceitful is something we don't recognize. Wickedness is a choice we make to live by. So no one's born wicked. So you don't, you're not born with a wicked heart. It's something that you walk into by choice. And so um, let's go to that definition. But it's still not a good one. You know, What's your name? Deceitful. Oh, yeah. Well, how would you like to do business with me? Not, not a good name to be called. But he was named that name, not, not really, I believe his parents didn't name that to make it trouble for his life, but because it was kind of a cute thing, but it became the definition of his name. Um, so when you say that, that the heart of man, when you read it in Hebrew, if you're a Hebrew reader, you're going to read that the heart of man is Jacob. And that's literally what it says, Jacob. So you come across that name, but yet Jewish families still name their kids Jacob. So don't feel bad if your name is Jacob. But the thing is, Jacob's name changed. It doesn't happen often in the Bible, but it does happen. But it's not always that a person changes his name because he doesn't like him when he gets older. God changed his name from Jacob to Israel. Israel is, is an interesting name because Isra, El, El is always God. But Isra means either prince with God or strives with God. Now, I like both of those titles. Prince with God is a really cool title because you're hanging out with God as a prince and he's the king, you know, so you do things together and you have authority, you have rulership, and you have adventure. The, the name strives with God is a little different. What, strife is not a good thing, but strife is typically against something or someone. Strive is, is trying to strive the distance, to go the distance with God. And he's in the driver's seat, and you're the passenger, but you're going in the same direction. So that's pretty much what the way I see the definition playing out the best, because Israel didn't always look good as a prince, nor did Israel look good as one who strives with God, because oftentimes in the history of Israel, they strived against God. Now, what happened in this story is that Israel became Jacob's name, and Israel from there would become the name of a nation and a people. So when we say Israel, biblically, it is talking about the people and a specific piece of property, the land of Israel. And it's been that way throughout history. 
So most people don't see it that way, but that's how the Bible describes it as people and a land. And if you keep that as a Bible reader, student, um, you need to keep that in the forefront of your mind as you come to the term Israel. That's very helpful for people who don't understand when you hear Israel in the Bible, or may not may not be that they don't understand, but have never come to that place of knowing that Israel in the Bible refers to a person, a people, and a place. It's not just one thing. Although I think as you get further in the Bible past Jacob's story, Israel as the people doesn't refer to the person as much. Um, right. But it, that there are three separate definitions in the Bible for that. that Let I me just add this one yeah. thing. So if you think of from God's side, what Israel means, because it means a person and a place, he takes the place, which means land, very personal. So that might help understand the conflict side. Is when Later on, we'll talk about the conflict, this Middle East conflict. What's it all about? Um, does God really care about a piece of real estate? I mean, you know, come on. The earth is the Lord's, right? But when you see that he called Israel by a personal name, the land a personal name, that it's very dear to him. It's near to him as a person. It makes a lot of sense because he is a God of relationship. Exactly. A God of um, that doesn't care to take the long run or play the long game. The God who sends a baby to redeem the whole world, mm -hmm. but a baby that needs to grow and live and become 30 years old before they do anything of value as far as the world would look at it. God's not, he doesn't care about the long game. And I think that's kind of how this podcast is going to play out. Um, the long game is that we're going to talk about Israel and we're going to begin to look at what's happening currently at some point or another. Um, but in order to fully understand what Israel means, we have to understand the person, then the people, and then the place. Mm -hmm. So we're going to start with the person. And in order to understand the person of Israel, we have to understand where he came from, which was Jacob. We all have a come from where we've all come from in order to get to the person that God's made us to be. Mm -hmm. And through that, we have the points that create us into who we are. And that story is the story of Jacob in some ways, the from Jacob. We all have our from and in order for Jacob to become Israel, we kind of have three major points, and these are the points that the podcast is going to go through. So I'm going to go ahead and tell you them so that you can get ready for the next couple podcasts as we're going to talk through them. So the first one we have is the struggle for blessing. Um, Jacob and Esau and struggling for blessing and the fact that as a people right now, I'm not sure we quite understand what blessing is. I'm sure I don't fully understand what that term means. And then we have the renaming. So we have Jacob to Israel, and how is a people renamed? How are we as a people and as a person individually renamed by God? Lots more that we'll get into there. And reconciliation, the reconciliation that comes after that with Jacob and Esau, and what all more that could mean. We will wait and see. So thank you guys so much for joining us. I hope you're looking forward to those next podcasts and to diving deep into what all this means. I hope to see you next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the discussion and got something out of it. If you want to be a part of the conversation or have any questions, head on over to the Comfort My People Facebook or Instagram page, where we'll post about today's episode and join you all in the comments. As always, please subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. And invite your friends to join us as we journey from Jacob. Love you all. See you next week. Shalom.